Today's <clears throat> message is entitled The Sexual Awakening, Mind-Blowing Intimacy. We will talk about adult stuff. If your child is in here and you do not want them finding out from me and you would rather find out from you, then please take them back to Kidwell uh, and let them uh, hang out back there. Don't mind if they stay out here, but just know that we're going to talk about men, women, some of men and women parts, and some things like that. So uh, please uh, take this as your own personal disclaimer. If your children are in here, they will hear some stuff that are more adult in nature, in my opinion. So uh, I will give you to the count of the introduction uh, to have those out. I see people running for the door. Uh, no, we're not going to talk about anything perverted or anything like that, but uh, we must teach the whole scope of the Bible, and that absolutely includes uh, things about sexuality and intimacy between a man and his wife uh, and some perversions of that. So uh, today we'll cap and finish off our um, awakening series, and as we <clears throat> have gotten into this awakening series, I think we've gone for about eight weeks now, maybe nine weeks the whole intent and goal of this series was not necessarily to answer specific questions that we have about faith and about the Bible and about things like that, though we have answered a lot of questions just in our general searching of the scriptures. <clears throat> the, the main objective of this series has been to really uh, uh, help you to understand how to find the answers to the questions. The main objective has been how do we search scriptures? How do we adjust what we feel and what we think to what God thinks? And a lot of the times we base what we think and what we feel and what we believe off of what the world says and off of what culture speaks into our lives through different mediums such as um, your friends and family, uh, media, television, movies, news, events, things like that are absolutely twisted and skewed all the time to, to tell you exactly what they want to tell you and to define things the way that they want you to understand them. And so a lot of times we have our own understanding of, of different things like sex or roles or uh, the nature of God or just all kind of different myriad of things. And what we do is we come to the scriptures and we start to read and we say, wow, this doesn't line up with what I've always thought to be true. This doesn't line up with what I would like to think is true. But the question is, what do you do when that happens? When you come to a part in the scriptures that seems to contradict what you believe to be true, we are faced with a dilemma there and a choice to be made. Do we say, well, the Bible can't mean what it seems to mean because I know that it's this way. And do we twist and manipulate scripture to fit what we already understand and what we believe to be true? Or do we say, well, this seems to contradict what I believe. I must be wrong and change what you believe. Okay, And I think that that is where we should be as Christians. The Bible is true in every way. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It's perfect in everything that it says and in every principle that it builds. You must change your thought process according to the scriptures. And every thought that you have and every belief or, or thing that you hold to be true must be tested according to the scriptures. And if it is found lacking or if it is found contradictory to the scriptures, then you and your beliefs are absolutely wrong and you're the one that needs to change, not the Bible. 
So today we're going to finish up this series and we're going to <coughs> finish up the sexual awakening part of this series. And what we're going to look at is the intimate relationship between a man and his wife and how that relates or how that points to Jesus Christ and his people. Because I believe that everything here on earth, everything in the history of mankind has been a foreshadowing or a type that points to Jesus Christ. So today's goal <laughs> is not to teach you how to, how to have really good sex all the time, though we hope we get there. Amen, fellas? Don't get in trouble already. Right? My wife's not here, so gloves off. Hey, hey. Are we recording? Turn that thing off right now. <laughs> Turn that thing off. No, really, we want to, and hopefully, we want to have really good sex a lot, uh, and it be uh, uh, a desire for the man and his wife. Now, I would say this before we ever get started. God made sex, and he made it for several different reasons. Now, there is sex in cultures and different churches and denominations and belief systems that would say sex is only for Fill in the blank. A lot say procreation, making babies and filling the earth, but it's not made for enjoying and having fun. I would say blasphemy, <laughs> you know, and I think I can prove that biblically. What is going on? Oh, was that, was that some music going on? Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I need some little intro music. Uh, I believe that that is absolutely wrong and biblically unsound. I think that the whole book of Song of Solomon would go completely against any of that, right? And just naturally speaking, uh, I don't think that God designed it that way, and it's pretty obvious that he didn't. So what we need to, what we need to find out is, okay, if, if sex is made for several different things, and I think that it is, uh, stress relief, right? Um, enjoyment, procreation, obviously, you know, um, all these different things. It's made for building a relationship, right? It's made for all these wonderful things, but when it's used and done wrongly, it actually has a devastating effect. I like to think of sex like a, like a fire. Sex is like a fire. A fire inside of a fireplace is a hot, wonderful blessing. Amen? But you let it get outside the fireplace, it burns the whole house down. <laughs> Amen? It's devastating outside the fireplace. <clears throat> the same is true with uh, sex related to God. God made sex and he gave it to us. Every good gift comes down from above. I should hear more amens today than I have heard all three years we've been planted, okay? Hallelujah, all right? We put a twist on it. Amen, yeah? Amen. So, God made sex and he made it wonderful and he made it good, but he made it for the context of marriage. Let me say this from the stage. If you are engaged in sexual relationships outside of marriage, it will not end good for you. It will devastate you. It will take you down a road that you can't come back from, and it will absolutely brutalize and destroy the relationship that you're in and your own soul. Now, that can be redeemed by Jesus and made new and pure again because in him we find redemption and reconciliation. But I'm telling you right now, from the back of the room to the front of the room, if you are engaged in extramarital, outside of marriage, premarital, uh, while you're in marriage, if you're engaged in sex outside of a marriage to your husband or your one wife, then it will be devastating for you. 
it'll burn the whole house down. If you are looking at pornography, burn the whole house down. If you are lusting after a coworker, burn the whole house down. Sex and sexual longing and intimate desire is good. It's wonderful in the context of marriage. We can get warm by it. We can be fulfilled and sustained. Jesus uses it to, to, to fill up our empty spots and develop a deeper intimacy and relationship with one another. But outside of the marriage bed, it is forbidden and dangerous. I want to set that as a foundational statement so you'll know for the rest of the time when I speak of sex and I teach you of intimate relationship, I am speaking of a man and his wife. If you apply any of these to any relationships outside of marriage, it will have the reverse effect. Okay? Agreed? Okay. Now let's get into the Bible. I've essentially got two sermons. All right? The Lord gave me one extra one this morning just in case. <laughs> so we'll see what happens, all right? I'm, I'm good to like 2.33. Everybody good with me? It's supposed to rain after a while, so those of you who think you're going to baseball, forget it, all right? All right, so we're going to start out, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And also, uh, one core verse that I want to put out there is Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Although we are going to <coughs> look at several other passages in Song of Solomon, because it's so helpful in helping us to understand how we should understand sex. Before I get into this, let me put uh, one more little um, thing for you to think about. Next week is Easter, and it is one of, if not the biggest visiting holiday of the year, okay? All the one-timers will come on Easter, all right? Now, this place, look around, it's about full right now. If everybody's squeezed in, you don't have to right now because I think we've got about all that we're going to get. If everybody's squeezed in, we may have roughly 50, 60 chairs in here, okay? Now, hopefully, all of you are so excited. You've been prepping the rest of your family and friends for the entire part, first part of this year that you got to come, got to come on Easter, got to come on Easter, because if you're going to get them, you can get them on Easter, okay? So I need for every volunteer and every committed person and partner in this church to park at Fred's. Because I'm anticipating 500 people this coming Easter, the next, next weekend. That's what I'm looking for, okay? All right. At least. We may have more. So what we're going to do, we've already talked about this. We didn't want to go to two services. We talked about doing two services, but I don't want to split the fellowship. I do not want to uh, expand the fellowship, divide the I don't want to do that. I want to have one. So all the volunteers, next Sunday, everybody that will... Don't block the big trucks up at Fred's. I just got that reminder. They might have to get out. So we'll park up the side, but there's plenty up there, okay? We'll, we'll deal with that some next week too. But everybody who is willing, everyone who comes every Sunday and you're in, man, you're in. If you're still wondering, like, I'm parking at Fred's, I'm leaving, you know? If, you, if you've got that attitude, you know, park here. We'll start working on your humility, all right? So if you will, please, this is a ministry park at Fred's. We got to have the parking spaces because if 500 people show up and they don't have a place to park, then they don't get to hear the gospel that day because they don't come in. Also, those of you who are volunteers here and can stand for extended periods of time, I want you to stand until everybody else is seated because I plan on having standing room only in here that day. Yeah. All right, let's work together to present the gospel. All right, that's next weekend. Watch it happen because God is good. All right, now. Let's get into this sermon. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to get into this thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again soon so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control because of your lack of self-control let's pray Jesus I just pray that you would be filled up full and expanded and pouring over in this sermon I pray that nothing would be said out of the way that doesn't need to be said. I pray that every word would go straight to the heart and it would ultimately show us what type of relationship that you desire to have with us. Please be with the reading and the hearing of your word. Bless every aspect of it and help us to have a better understanding of you when we come out of this place today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to show you several different things uh, about the sexual relationship today between a man and his wife. I want to cover just a few things, and really what I want to do is I just want to give the Lord uh, absolute freedom to go wherever he wants to go to take me. I've done tons of studies, so I could talk for hours, so we'll just absolutely follow the Lord and follow where he wants to go. I want to start out with a few things that I get out of these scriptures right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that I think if you would apply to your life and if you could understand as a man and his wife or apply to the relationship that you will have one day with your future spouse, your husband or your wife, that your relationship on an intimate level and every other level would absolutely explode and blossom. You see, I, I find that when I talk to many couples, the, the intimate part of the relationship seems to be hard work. It seems to be like you have to continually fight over it. And I talk to many men and women who either the husband isn't fulfilling his obligations, says the wife, or the wife isn't fulfilling her obligations. So everyone is, has tension running out their ears. They're angry and they live in a continual state of frustration. And they're torn up. They're not fulfilled. And they want to throw their hands up in the air and they're ready to give up. They're just mad. But what I found as I studied the scriptures is, is that all of this is a result of unbiblical living and unbiblical perspective on relationship. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look, let's open up the scriptures <clears throat> and let's begin to read. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now why would Paul, Paul is the author of this book, why would he say that? Is he saying that sex is a bad thing? That sexual relationships is a bad thing? I don't think that's what he's saying here because he's going to teach us how to rightly think of sexual relationships. <clears throat> I think if we dig up under what Paul says and we bring in some other texts that Paul is saying, especially when we get over in the later part there, Paul says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. What he's saying about the sexual relationship between a man and a woman not being a really good thing or an ideal thing is, what he's saying is, is that I wish everyone was like me. And Paul never took a wife. He never had sexual relationships that we find anywhere in the scriptures. And he had completely devoted himself to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
He wasn't tied down with a relationship, so he went on several missionary journeys. He planted several different churches, and he only had one focus and one intent on his mind, and that was Jesus Christ. He's saying, I don't want sex to hinder you from doing the work of the Lord. I don't want a relationship to hinder you from going when God says go, right? He's saying that you need to be focused on Christ. What we find right after that is, is that he says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The first principle I find coming out of this <clears throat> is that sex is natural and it's powerful. Sex is natural and it's powerful. Now, many of the conservative Christians in the room said, you shouldn't say sex is natural. Because that's the argument from the public, is that it's natural. Everybody's doing it. It's, it's just a natural need of my body. God made me this way. You ever heard that before? God made me this way. I got an itch, I scratch it, baby. You know? I'm hungry, I eat. He actually makes that, that, he makes that argument in, in chapter 6. He says, many of you will say the stomach is for food and food for the stomach, so I eat. But Paul's going to say, yeah, but every other sin is outside the body. This sin is inside the body. He's saying, having sex is not like every other need. Sex is a powerful, powerful, and it is an intrinsic thing that when you have sex with someone, when you have an intimate moment with someone, you join together with them spirits. Your souls are intertwined, and you give away something that you can't get back. It's more than just a physical need. It's much more than a physical need. It is spiritually powerful. That's what I want you. That's one thing I want you to take right now. Ladies, understand that sex is natural and it's powerful. Men, understand that sex is natural and it's powerful. We find that in the scriptures through this understanding. <laughs> he says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. What he is saying is, is that all the men are going to struggle with it because it's part of who they are. All the women are going to struggle with it because it's part of who they are. And because both of them are really stupid and weak. And they give in far too easily. Go ahead and get married. Because why? Because sex is natural and it's powerful. And if you do not go the route that God has given you, it will destroy you. Now, some people are called to celibacy, which is an absence of, of, of uh, abstaining from sexual relationships. I think there's one guy here that was. I don't know if he still is, you know, but he was. I say, praise God. Wants to devote his whole life to the Lord. Praise God. Some people are gifted like that. Some people could never do that. Some God has granted for them to be able. Some he has not. So he is saying, since sex is so natural, since sex is so powerful, you need to get married. Because being, having a sexual relationship outside of the marriage is going to kill you. It's going to devastate you. Number one, it's natural and it's powerful. Number two, though, let's keep reading. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Number two is, is that because it's natural and powerful does not mean that it's always permissible or beneficial. <laughs> 
write those two words down, permissible or beneficial. You see, sex is natural and it's powerful, but it's not always permissible or beneficial. Only within the context of a marriage, having one wife and one husband, is it permissible and beneficial. But even then, how beneficial it is and how permissive it is will greatly depend on the man and his relationship with God or the woman and her relationship with God and on how she interacts with her husband or wife or how he interacts with his wife within the relationship. What I mean is this. Within a marriage relationship, sex is permitted, but it's not always beneficial because of the relationship between the individual, whether it's the man or the wife, and their God or their view on sex. So if you have a right understanding with, about sex and you have a good relationship with the Father, with Jesus, then sex is actually beneficial and it, and it helps the relationship. It pours into the relationship and it makes the relationship better. If you do not have a healthy relationship with the Lord and you do not have a right perspective on sex and intimacy and relationship with your husband or wife, it is actually degrading or devastating to the marriage. I've seen it a million times. Some of you are in it right now. Your husband is always wanting to have sex and you're just ticked off about it. Your wife is never wanting to have sex and you're ticked off about it. Your husband never meets any of your other needs but expects you to meet his. Who does he think he is? Right? You say, I'm not going to give that to him, and he's not doing for me. He's not meeting my expectations, so I'm not going to meet his. And then the husband is saying, well, she ain't meeting my expectations. I'm not taking that trash out. You'll see it'll stink. <laughs> well, so will your relationship. Right? It is only beneficial within the relationship if, if those factors are Right? If we have a good relationship with the Lord and we understand what it is to live in a gospel-centered relationship rather than a religion-works-based relationship. You understand that? Um, okay, let's keep going. All right, <clears throat> number three, I was going to do something for a second. But okay, let's keep going. Number three, let's read verse three here. So it's only, it's natural, powerful, permissible, and beneficial if it's done within a marriage with people who are rightly related to God and understanding God and understanding intimate relationships. Okay, we, we following so far? All right, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, uh, the, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, what does conjugal mean? This is a really old word. It's hardly ever used anymore. The only time, other time I'd ever word to her, word to heard. <laughs> heard the word I mean conjugal was what conjugal visits in prison which brings me to a good point we have completely brutalized and murdered what sex actually means let me take a two minute excursion here a lot of the girls that I, that I run into or that I talk to, uh, you know, that grew up in church their whole life, most, you know, a Southern Baptist church or a, an independent church or whatever type of church, what is their general understanding of sex? It's evil. <sighs> evil. So it's devastating to their relationship. Because they can't ever open up and be free with their husbands because they've been told their whole life in church, uh, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, you better wait, sex is bad, sex is bad, true love waits, sex is bad, sex is bad. So when they finally get married and husband's like, sex is good, they're like, no, it's not. 
And then the husband's like, please, Lord, set her free from these Southern Baptist ways. You know? And the, one, and the woman has no trust. She has no understanding of what sex is. And she's closed off. Meanwhile, right, the church is told the guy the same way. But he don't care. Right? <laughs> he don't care. The media, now men are visually, uh, 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 they're visually around, visual creatures. They understand and, and take things in visually. And so they are taking in what the world is saying about sex. So sex is good, sex is good, sex is good, sex is good in any context. You put these two extremes together, what happens? Right? Devastating explosion. And paired with the fact that men and women are completely, totally, absolutely in, in every single way without any hint of any negotiation different. Men, men are like, men are like energizer bunnies. They're really fast. They just like a lot of time, you know? They're like a, they're, I'll tell you what, they're like a dog. I talked to Robert about this last night. They really are. Men are like dog, women are like cats. I'm sorry if you don't like cats. This is what you're like. A dog is all over you all the time. He won't get off. Please get off of me. Get, leave me alone, you know. Uh, do you like to play fetch. You ever know, anybody like to play fetch with a nice dog? I do. I'll throw the stick. Oh, look at him run. It's wonderful. It's just fun. But in the, in the 300th time that he brings the stick back, I'm like, please leave me alone, you know. Your guys are just like that. Sometimes you just need to put the stick up. <laughs> Leave her alone, right? If the dog would just stop for five minutes, I might like to throw it again. Please leave me alone, right? Dogs are all over you all the time. Can't get them off of you. You're brushing them off and they're doing things to your leg and you're like, what are you doing? This is not the time for this, right? But a cat, a cat, they're soft to pet that you like. But they're laying way over there. And they're like, you want to pet me? You get up, you come over here. <laughs> Amen? You got to work a cat up, you know? But once you get it going, you know, you got to work on it. Praise God, my wife is not here. Turn that thing off right now. I'm going to show you that this is biblical. This is biblical, camera, okay? All right, you turn in your Bibles if you want to. I'm going to Song of Solomon. I'm going to prove it right now. Man, let's get this thing going. Now, I'm gonna, I got a point here. I want you to look if you open your Bibles, and <coughs> even if you don't, I'll just read uh, some. <coughs> in the Song of Solomon, this whole book is about a man who is pursuing his, his wife and a wife who is actually accepting and desiring the man to pursue her. You see, this is the right thing, uh, and the scriptures say this is the way it should be. Now, obviously, it's not always like that, and the wife needs to put her own selfish desires to the side and meet and fulfill the expectations. No, let's back up. 
meet and fulfill the God-given responsibility that she has to meet the needs of her husband. And I'll show you that in the scriptures here in just a second too. That is right. But on the other hand, the husband also has a responsibility to fulfill the needs of his wife. The problem is, is that we both live out of the desire and the expectation that they meet our needs instead of us meeting their needs, which ironically kills the chance of your needs being met. But look here in the Song of Solomon, in chapter 4, the entire chapter is, is him singing a love song, doing poetry, being slow to approach her. Uh, he says things like this. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. That may not work today, <laughs> but it was good then, right? Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes <laughs> that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. <laughs> you got all your teeth, and they're white. And not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck, neck is like the Tower of David. Some of you women, calm down, okay? I know you're getting excited as I read this, but just calm down. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two phones, twins of a gazelle that gaze among the lilies. You know, phones just frolic and play their love. They're just wonderful, you know. That, that's what he's saying. It's just like two phones playing in a field. You know, you just get happy when you see phones in a field. And, and uh, until the, amen. Until, oh, this is good. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. He goes on and on and on. The whole entire chapter, chapter four, is all about him pursuing her and meeting her needs and fulfilling her desires, telling her how beautiful. He's very, very slow. A whole entire chapter just to tell her how beautiful and amazing she is. Guys, slow down. Calm down. Take it, hey, take it easy. All right? Slow down a little bit. Now, we skip on over to chapter 7, and chapter 7 actually continues. It says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your toes are awesome. You know, so just, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Man, isn't this good? Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. I don't know what that is. Uh, your belly is a heap of wheat. Never use that one in today's context. Never. Unless she has memorized that and understands what you're saying. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. He says it again. He, really, he must be a breast and he really likes breast. Your neck is like an ivory tower. He goes on and on. I want to start in verse 6. And I, want to read. I want to show you something right here. Now, this is almost two whole chapters of him alluring her and drawing her. Remember in Hosea where it says, how am I going to get my people back? I am going to allure her. This is an example. You know, the whole book of Song of Solomon is talking about a man and his wife, but it's actually a little picture of the big picture. It's talking about us and Jesus. 
Song of Solomon 1-2 says, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth because your love is better than wine. Jesus' love is better than wine. Look here, look here. It says, he, he continues, he says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one. With all your delights, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb that tree <laughs> and lay hold of its fruit. <laughs> Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Now, <laughs> what I want to show you is, is that men are active. If your man, if your husband is actively pursuing you, know one thing. It's natural. It's the way he was created, and at least he's pursuing you. He's, he is made to climb that tree. He is made to lay hold of that fruit. Stop knocking his, his leg off the tree. He's like climbing. You're like, get off of there. Get off of there. Get off of there. Let him climb the tree. You say, well, that's just not ladylike. Let me keep reading. He has taken almost two chapters. Now, we, we talked to the men here too. You want to climb the tree? Do the work to walk over to the tree and talk nice to the tree. It's a, be a tree hugger. Nice. This is a beaut. Your bark is wonderful. I'll show you what happens when you treat the tree rightly. Now, men are actively, they're in pursuit. They're the leaders. You were made to do that. He was made to do that. He, can't, he really, when he says, I can't help it, he's actually kind of telling the truth. He was made that way. It's like that dog. You can tell that dog as many times as you want to stop bringing that stick. He's never going to do it. He's going to bring that stick till the day he drops dead or his legs fall off. Right? You can't change. A leopard can't change his spots. But let's keep on. She says it goes down smoothly. Everything that he's been saying, everything, every, every compliment, every wonderful thing. And he's been patient. He's not been pushing. He's, not been, he's been patient. She said it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over the lips and the teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. She says, I am yours. You have won me. You have pursued me, and you have won me, and your desire is for me. How many wives have I talked to and said, he won't leave me alone? You know, praise God, his desire is for you. He could go to another well, but he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Praise God. Change your perspective and understand he is pursuing you. He said, you just want to have sex. No, I just want to have sex with you. Any man can go have sex somewhere. He wants you, wife. He wants you. And the reason she don't want you is because you're an idiot. <laughs> Husbands, slow down. Take your time. Do what Solomon did. Be slow. Pursue. Allure. And then you'll have what happens with her. Now, he's active, and she's like a cat. She's like, you want to pet me? You come over here. You got to do the work. You come. But when it happens, ladies... Let me tell you right now, he's pursuing you. He's coming after you. Don't keep knocking him off the tree. You're killing yourself. <laughs> Look at what she says. Come, my beloved. Let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded. Whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. 
there I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. You see, he's pursuing, he's pursuing, he's pursuing, and she, after being pursued, is open and accepting. She's not still cut off. What is your view of sex? Have you been so tainted by the world? Maybe some other sexual relationship that you have that was wrong. Maybe some type of um, molestation. I was doing some reading earlier, and one out of four girls, one out of every four girls are molested before they're 10 years old. And only 30% are ever reported. So that number is far greater. One out of six boys before they're 10 years old are sexually molested. The world is pumping our heads full. Church is pumping our heads full without giving all the perspectives. And we have this skewed vision. Look, God made sex wonderful. He desires for you to enjoy it. You say, well, I just don't believe that. I'm telling you right now, it is for your enjoyment. When uh, men are, are, really, are really fast, women are really slow. And so men need to slow down and women need to speed up. You need to look to the needs of the others instead of looking to your own needs. We'll go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here in just a second. And I want to show you that it is your responsibility to do that. And if you don't, it will not lead to a good place. The last thing I'll say here about the difference between men and women and how their desires are fulfilled, I want to I give you this little bit of an analogy. Men are really fast and women are really slow. So in order to get to where you need to be, we need to understand how, how much different our longings are. You know, my wife or, or the general wife, they want you to take your time and, and be very soft and gentle. Remember, this plays right into last week because women are very, they're soft, they're tender, they're gentle. They're, they're, they're called by God to be more quiet and submissive, and, and we pursue them, and we're very gentle. And, and, you know, your wife wants you to just rub her face like that and take her hair and put it out of her eyes behind her ear, right? Don't you love, who, how many of you women love when your husband do, does that? Man, I don't want that joker touching me anywhere. Well, a lot of women, they like that. Or a slow caress, maybe a, a slow and gentle foot massage. Or, you know, they like, you know, rub your shoulders a little bit. And, yeah, rub your shoulders a little bit, you know. Give you a soft kiss on the cheek and kind of lead up into that real slow. You know, a man's a lot different. I wish my wife just slammed me up against the wall. Bam! <laughs> Take those clothes off. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Let me get this off right here. If you did that with your wife, she would have a gun in just a second. Why do you think she took that CWP class? Huh? They're so completely different, right? Now, some women, some of y'all crazy women, you might like that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, generally speaking, women like it to go slow. But you slam your, hey, listen. You want to bless your husband? You want to know what he wants for his birthday? He wants you to slam him up against a wall. You can take that one to the bank. Hey, amen, men. Slam me up against the wall. Knock a hole in it. I'll fix it later. You feel me? You ain't even got to spend no money, right? Hey, hey. I'm telling you right now. See, he spends two, three, four chapters to get her to where she needs to be. She's got three verses. 
She's like, let's go to the park. He's like, let's go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, okay, I'm in. Let's go. Now, <clears throat> we got to address something here. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because we got to slow down and address a little something because it could be taken, what I've been saying is that if you do what you do, then they'll do what they need to do. That's not the way to look at it. Because if you do that, then it's still for selfish motives, and it's not right. And it may work for a little while, but once she finds out, or once he finds out, then you're done for. If I had my board up here, I would write a bunch of stuff on it. But I want to tell you there's two different ways of it. Now, we're going to switch over and look at Jesus, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We need to do a little bit of work on this. Now, we've got a few minutes. I want to look at gospel living versus religious living because a lot of us understand what I've been saying as a mechanical means to get what you want but the Bible doesn't speak that way you should live out of a grace-based passionate relationship and it will lead naturally to what you would like to have but you don't do it to get it right you don't work in order to make them do something that you want them to do let me let me explain 1 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> let's move down to verse 3. Let's go back to that conjugal thing. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband his rights. Now, that word conjugal, I went, I did a little homework, I did a little research, and because I wanted to know, okay, what, what is this word all about? And we use it in the sense in this verse and in a sexual relationship, like when a prison gets a conjugal visit, he has a visit where he has the right to uh, sexual relationships with, with the one that comes. That's a conjugal visit. So if his wife comes, whatever, they can have sexual relationship while he's there. But that's not what the word here means. It, it does mean that, but it doesn't. The base or the foundation of the word, this word is actually a phylane. And what it means is it actually means a responsibility. It even actually goes deeper. It is an obligation or it, it, this exact same word is used in other places in the Bible to talk about a debt, to talk about what is owed. It's not like, you know, well, you really need to do. No, the Bible says that you, it is your responsibility, your obligation to see to the need of the other one. Now, it says it to the wife and to the husband. You are obligated, husband, to not live your life in order to make her do what you want, in order to get your needs met, in order to feel good for yourself. Your obligation, your responsibility, your call is to live your life so that all of her needs are met. Amen? You do what you do so that her needs are met. And you do that out of love and passion, not to get something from her because that spoils the whole idea. This word conjugal, it, it is that you are obligated to help your spouse avoid sexual temptation. Now, that looks different for men and women. I don't have time if I could go into it. Most uh, adultery occurs in a man sexually and in a woman more emotionally. Now, both may lead to sex, but husbands, if you're not loving your wife and telling her sweet things and, and taking her to those places and slowly pursuing her, then be guaranteed some other man is. 
And it never, wife, women aren't like that. So nobody's going to slam her up against the wall at work and find themselves, you know, caught in the act. It's not going to start there with a woman. She's going to have a man at work who says, boy, you sure look nice today. And she's going to start thinking, my wife, my husband doesn't even tell me that. Did you get a new haircut? Boy, that's nice. Did you curl your hair today? Is that a new outfit? Her emotional needs are starting to be met by this man. Now, that may lead to sexually. And it's not the husband's fault if she commits sin and adultery. She will be held responsible for that. But you sure didn't help anything. You did not protect her from going out into that and developing that relationship. Wives, your husband is visual and sexual. He very well could just be slammed up against the wall. It will not be your fault. I'm not giving any man an excuse in here. You will stand before God and answer for that sin and pay for that sin. But wives, you could absolutely help your husband. And you are actually obligated, a filing, to fulfill those needs so that he doesn't have to go elsewhere. It's an obligation. This is an obligatory word. Obligation. So he keeps on there. He says... <clears throat> The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise to <clears throat> the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together quickly so that you're not led astray. Here, I want to break it down this way. In the gospel... The gospel works like this. Every other religion works on a works-based system that says <clears throat> uh, Mormonism, uh, Islam, Hinduism, all of them, uh, all of them, Jehovah's Witnesses, all of them, uh, they are works-based religions that says if you do this number of things, then you will get a reward in the end. So you live and you do and your actions are based on what you're going to get. So they're based on expectations. So it's all selfishly driven. You do what you do so you can get what you want to get. And if you do what you do and you don't get what you're going to get, what happens? You fall apart. You're angry. You're furious. You're, you're, you're blazing hot. And you shut down from doing anything else. But grace, but now that's religion. Grace-based uh, gospel living it is a grace slash passion movement that is, that is done out of passion and not from expectation. So this type of gospel living says, I do what I do because I love. I do what I do because I am passionately in pursuit of this person, not because I want to get anything from them. Jesus Christ set the example for this, and it is how Christianity works. It's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. <clears throat> See, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing that we could offer him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. It means that he loved you so much. He knew that you were broken. He knew that you were damaged. He knew that there was nothing that you could do to get back into his good graces. There was nothing that you could offer him. There was nothing that he could gain from coming after you. He did it out of love. And he would have done it and he did do it even if you would not give him what he desired. 
Now, his desire is to have a relationship with you. But you know that Jesus Christ died for the entire world. Will everyone come to him? Absolutely not. Does that mean he didn't die for them? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ, God loves all. He is not slow as we understand slowness, but he is patient longing that everyone would come to repentance. He did it out of love. It was absolutely selfless love. He did it because he loved you. Now, what is the result of that? For those who properly see and understand what Christ has done, they come to him. They fall down. Oh, your love for me. Your love for me. I will do anything for you. I love you. I want to live for you. I long for you. What you have done for me, I want you so bad. You see, this is... This is grace-based living, and the end is the result that you would want to have. Now, let me put this in another way to kind of tie all this together. <clears throat> if, ladies, I, I, I want to make this as simple as I can, and husbands too. Ladies, if you shut down and you reject your husband and deprive him. That word deprive in the scriptures here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says do not deprive one another. That word right there actually means to steal or to rob. Ladies, if you rob your husband of what you are obligated by God to give him because he hasn't done what he was supposed to do, then you are not living in a gospel-centered relationship. You are living in a works-based expectation model, and you will not have it turn out well for you. I did not say that you're wrong and he really does deserve it. I did not say that. Many husbands do not. Most do not. They're really stupid. But I want to tell you this, ladies, when you say I am not giving you what you would like to have because you have not given me what I would like to have, you are not in any way being like Jesus. Because Jesus gave us what we needed when we could not do what he wanted us to do. Ladies, if you operate in that fashion and you withhold from him what is his right because he has not done what he was supposed to do, you, it will go bad for you and it will never be for you what you would like it to have, what you would like it to be. Because what happens is it's a vicious cycle. You withhold from him because he hasn't done what he's supposed to do. Then he doesn't do what he's supposed to do because you withheld from him. This is religion. It's an endless cycle of betrayal, hurt, hopelessness, and pain. It is exactly why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. To do for us what we could not do, what we did not deserve. Husbands, it works the exact same way the other way around. If you will not do what your wife would love for you to do because she has not done for you what you was expecting her to do, then you are living in religion and God hates it. You are not living gospel-centered lives and it will not turn out good for you. But if you would only live like Jesus, both of you, 
If you would only live like Christ, if you would only be Jesus and do for your spouse what Jesus did for you and love her with a passion and with a zeal even when she is unlovable. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might wash her in the water of the word and present to God a a, a blemishless bride. Love her when she's unlovable. Love her when, she's, when she looks rough. Love her when she's depriving you. Love her when she shouldn't be loved. Love her because you love her, not because of what she can do for you. Because if you are loving her just because she can do something for you, you do not love her. You just love yourself. And you are manipulating your pride that God gave you all my heart. I do it to my wife all the time. I'm sorry. I'm a sorry sinner. I wish I could live out what I'm preaching right now. But I know that I can and you can. Go back to the beginning of the sermon. We must get this right then this will work itself out. Because if you start living gospel-centered, you want to know the secret to a wonderful marriage. You want to know the secret to making it through the darkest, deepest, most troubling times is to be Jesus. Because when you're living like Jesus and you're loving like Jesus, it doesn't matter how old he gets or how wrinkly he gets. It doesn't matter how old or, or, or how whatever else she gets. It doesn't matter because you don't love them for what they bring to the table. You love them because you love them. You will make it through the hardest of times because it is not based on works. It is not a religious love. It is a gospel-centered love that never gives up. It never ends. Love never fails. It never loses hope. It never keeps an account of wrongs. Love never fails. What type of love have you built your relationship on? Jesus Christ poured it all out on the cross, and he said, it is finished It is finished. And let the chips fall where they may. You love your wife and you let the chips fall where they may. If she comes to you and she falls into your arms and pursues you, praise be to God for the extra icing on top of the cake. But if she denies you and she betrays you and she turns away and you're doing everything right, then blessed are those who look like their Lord Jesus Christ. For we are being conformed to the image of the Son of God. And if your wife, you pursue her and you love her and you allure her and she turns her back on you, then you look more like Jesus than anybody I've ever met. And great will be your reward in heaven. But there's a practical side to that too. Ladies, if you deny him because he hasn't met expectations... It's a vicious circle, and it's just going to end in more hurt feelings and devastation. But ladies, let me tell you something. Let me give you a a good piece of advice. Husbands, apply this to you. It's the same exact way on the other side. It's just a better illustration one to ladies. My wife would like for me to do these things, you know, be slow and gentle and take out, try to do, do all of these little things. And that's rightfully so, I should. 
And I should do it just out of love. Pursue and love. Yeah, y'all come on up. Pursue and love without anything else. But I'm a, as Paul would say, because we are weak and given to sexual temptation and because we're idiots, you know, if my wife were to slam me up against the wall, Hey, a brother can hope and pray. Let's, let's move. If my wife were to pursue me, not in an actively way, but just respond to my pursuing her, if your wife would pursue you, if a wife would pursue her husband, if any wife would, would, would be climbable, if any wife would be accepting and embracing of the movement of her husband, I'm telling you right now, there's not a, well, I haven't met him yet. He could be in here. I haven't met a man yet that wouldn't walk on his tiptoes to get the trash out. <laughs> Who wouldn't be all about whatever. Husbands, you want your wives to be just embracing of you, excited to be with you, to accept all of your advances? Then start loving her for her without expecting her to be with you intimately like that. And you can't do it for a month. You can't do it for a week and be like, well, that didn't work. Then you've proven the point of religio religiosity or a religious-based relationship. What I want you to do today is repent of your sin. I will be here repenting of mine. I have a lot of expectations for my wife that when are unmet, they turn me into somebody that that I don't want to be. Let's change that, Robert. They reveal things about me that are true that I don't like. I need to live for her and let the Lord deal with it all. And let me say this. When you live selflessly, fulfilling the needs of the other, you will have a far greater chance of having your own needs fulfilled that you would like to have earthly. Really, they're already fulfilled in Christ. But I'm telling you in a practical way that when you live selflessly pursuing and meeting the needs of the other, the relationship works out better. That's what I tell everybody in a marriage counseling session is that if you will only stop worrying about what she's not doing and what you're not getting and start worrying about what you are doing and what you are giving, the relationship will, will be on smooth sailing in, in just a little while. We're selfish people. We want what we want. We want her to do what we want her to do. We want him to what, do what we want him to do. And if he doesn't do what he does, and I'm, I, there's no way. Close for business. Ice cold. As we all stand to our feet, I want to ask you, do you live with your wife? Do you live with your husband in a way that you already have all of your needs met by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and you're not looking and expecting them to be something that they cannot be. How many of you husbands in here, right now, you are mad at your wife. You have hard feelings. And you're holding her uh, responsible for the fact that you are angry and you are mad. It is not her fault. It is you. You are supposed to have your needs met in Jesus Christ. Get her off the throne. 
Your needs are met in Christ, in Christ alone. And if you don't have your needs met by Christ, all you will do is abuse her and expect from her and drive her into the ground because she can't meet your needs. She's not God. You want to know why your relationship is broken with your wife? It's because you're holding her to a godlike position. She can't fix you. She can't fulfill you. She can't make you feel good. Not apart from Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. Wives, have you completely destroyed your husband because you're always shutting him down, always rejecting him? Have you made him feel like the least of these? Have you made him feel like an idiot because you will not do what God has called you to do? You want to see him blossom into a good man? You want to see some confidence? Help him out. Now, that's his responsibility with God. But be a helpmate like God created you to be. Fall into his embrace. Act like he's handsome. Act like you love him. You look, you watch all these shows and you see them making out and kissing and all this intimacy and you smile. You want to go to these chick flicks where these guys are pursuing these girls and you won't let him touch you. Where are you getting your fulfillment? Why you like watching it on the screen but you won't let your husband do it to you? That's pornography for you ladies. A man might be visually stimulated watching pornography, the act of sex. But ladies, let me ask you right now. Are you getting your fulfillment from watching these ooey-gooey films and, and watching them have sex on screen after they've built up that, but you won't let your husband do that? You won't give him advice on how to pursue you? You won't, you won't tell him, look, I don't like this. I like this. Pursue me this way. Let's build this thing. Don't you understand that God can use you to take him to a place of being a better man and a better leader? Guys, girls, we have a long way to go. I know I do. I know I do. Your first love is Christ. Your second love is your husband or your wife. Your third love is everybody else, and you are last. When you get there, watch your relationship explode into mind-blowing intimacy. When Christ is first, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. You want to pursue your own desires and expectations in this relationship? You're just going to destroy the other one. But if you will live a gospel-centered life and if you will be Jesus to them and love them when they don't deserve it, let them fall into your arms when they don't deserve it. Embrace them when they've done something wrong to you. Love on them in ways that, that you don't usually love. You watch that flower open up. You watch it bloom. Because Jesus knows exactly, exactly what you need. He has met every need. Now, with this sermon being preached, how many of you are living in a religious, self-righteous, expecting way with your spouse? How many of you need to repent? Because everything that you do is based off of what they do and not what of, off of what Christ has done. Who needs to repent of that sin? You can repent where you stand or you can repent down here. 
we change this right here, you will watch the gospel explode. The altar is open. The front is open. This is just wooden carpet, but it represents the feet of the cross. If this is something that you've struggled with, something that you have a hard time with, maybe you need to forgive your husband or your wife. Maybe you need to to lay that down. You do what you need to do with the Lord. Come, respond to Him. Let's live gospel-centered lives. It's all about Jesus. Come.